This episode is sponsored by Code Chrysalis, Tokyo's number one coding bootcamp. See what a Code Chrysalis education can do for your future. Change your life and learn how to code. Welcome to another episode of Tokyo Speaks. It's been a long time since I recorded, but to make a long story short, just a lot going on. COVID, obviously.、Uh, I didn't catch COVID, but you know, all the different you know, state of emergencies. Yeah, just making it hard to do things we normally can do or we normally w- would like to do,、um, such as podcasting and hanging out with friends and all that stuff. Also, I have a house now in Japan. And、uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I didn't move in yet. It'll be a few weeks before I move in. But、um, yeah, that's, that's also been tying me up、uh, recently. All right, so before I introduce the featured guests, I just want to say that、uh, if you're new to Tokyo Speaks, Um, this is a podcast that focuses on the international community here in Tokyo, Japan. We just like to bring on people who are doing you know, cool, amazing things,、um, passion projects,、um, just you know, people following their dreams and doing great work out here in the community. So I'll have my co host introduce herself. Hi, my name is Ingrid. I am part Japanese, part Latina, and I work at a nonprofit organization that provides scholarships to. Um, students from Japan and Africa. Terrence, thank you so much for having me today. And I'm really, really excited for this episode. Yes, thank you, Ingrid. This is our first time meeting each other, right? Wow. So,、um, yeah, I think, where did, where did we meet?、Um, so, I was trying to remember where we met, actually, but I think we met、uh, during some kind of online、uh, gathering during COVID last year.、Um, it was related to period. At Tokyo, I believe. And、um, since then, I think we just connected on Instagram and we had been following each other since, but it's the first time that we're meeting in person. I've been listening to your podcasts a lot,、uh, especially during COVID, to keep me sane.、Um, but it's really nice to actually see you in person like this. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, likewise. All right. So we're going to jump right into it、uh, and let our featured guests introduce ourselves. Hi, Ingrid. Hi, Terrence.、Uh, this is Leah Camargo. I'm a Tokyo born and raised.、Uh, my father is Colombian American. My mother is Korean Japanese. So I'm also Japanese and part Latina, just like、uh, Ingrid. I've recently found myself in a position where I'm doing a lot of global partnerships work with a company called Fermata.、Uh, this is a Tokyo and Singapore based startup. Um, that's dealing with women's health issues.、Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about some of the things that we're working on in the company, but also just to talk about women's health and periods and vaginas and things that can make some people uncomfortable, but <laughs> people like Ingrid and I are very excited. All right. So,、um, yes,、uh, please let us know what is Fermata and like, what's the mission? Yeah. So, Fermata is a startup that was established about two years ago.、Um, our mission is to turn taboos into triumphs, meaning we're really tackling health issues that are seen as taboo, either by society, by our families, or maybe just 
you know, traditions and values that we've held uh, in ourselves. Um, we want to take these issues and try to t- turn them into triumphs, meaning maybe you don't solve the issue, the health issue that you've been dealing with your whole life overnight, but you see a way that you can, you know, maybe alleviate some of the symptoms, ways to live more freely, ways to uh, live a life that's truer to who you are. Uh, at the moment, we've been focusing on women's health. So this is femtech. Uh, femtech is a word that combines the words female and technology, coined by a, a startup founder years ago, back in 2012. Um, but this concept of women's health isn't new. You know, we've always tried to find ways to alleviate the health issues that we have. Um, just right now, femtech seems to be the most fitting word for it. So as for Mata, we're focusing on making femtech solutions available in Japan uh, and other parts of Asia. What we see is that a lot of the technology and innovation in the women's health space takes place in North America, Israel, Australia sometimes, um, Europe mainly, but it's what, you know, traditionally we call the West. Uh, And, you know, I really am one of those people who do not like the East-West binary because just like any binary, it doesn't make any sense. But in this world of startups and kind of biotech and health tech innovation, it really does seem to be there seems to be an information gap, but also an access gap when it comes to, um, you know, these these two very different regions. Uh, so what we're trying to do is make those products, services, medical devices, consumer products that are available in, let's say, Finland uh, or uh, Canada or Israel and make them available here in Japan. And um, yeah, we had Amino on uh, was episode that maybe eight ninety two ninety three we had uh, CEO Fermata yes um, Amina. our fearless leader yes. my goodness she is I mean you know I've met a lot of CEOs in my day and I'm obviously biased because I work under her but the amount of courage tenacity and just boldness that it takes to push forward a project like this especially in Japan there's very few people that could do that and I think that really came through in that podcast episode oh, with yes, Amina so definitely check it out if you guys haven't heard it yet yes and shout out to Amina and you know so with Tokyo Speaks you know we discuss a variety of topics and, and usually with the featured guests I try to have on a, a, a co-host who I think can contribute to the conversation and, mm-hmm. and bring in an interesting perspective. So I would like you know Ingrid to talk about her background in uh, women's health. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, so I became interested in women's health back when I was in high school um, because I lived in a country called Uganda in East Africa. And during my time there, I was very passionate about education and girls' education in particular. So I went around primary schools trying to see um, what kind of disparities existed between um, boys and girls going, uh, boys and girls' attendance rates. And I would go to these primary schools and speak to the teachers there and they would tell me stuff like, okay, yeah, maybe less girls come to school than boys, but the bigger issue exists and that is that Um, girls are unable to come to school whenever they have their periods Mm -hmm. and um, period products are not as accessible as they should be. And um, I would see phrases painted around schools saying, uh, protect yourself when you're having sex or HIV AIDS kills or uh, things like do not use, um, you know, pieces of your mattress as your uh, in place of your menstrual pads. 
And these were things that were unheard of. I could not believe my eyes when I saw these things, you know, like, oh, don't use banana leaves instead of pads. And I was like, wow, like what a world we live in. And I became fascinated by um, just the concept of um, menstrual poverty. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've been trying to raise more awareness, especially on my social media about um, periods in general, especially when I started using a menstrual cup and I had no idea how, how I uh, needed to use it. So I um, made a lot of stories on how to use the cup. And when I was finally able to insert it, everyone was like cheering for me, like, yeah, go Ingrid, like you <laughs> use that cup. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like uh, all of these issues are very intersectional in the sense that, okay, I was using these cups and I would also talk about sustainability and I would also talk about, um, you know, disaster prevention, what kind of menstrual products you needed to have in your disaster kit um, in order to like live a life outside of your home for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um, maybe a menstrual cup is not sustainable in an area where water is not readily available, for for example. So all of these um, issues are uh, issues that I hold close to heart and I feel like they're so important but rarely talked about. So um, the concept of turning taboos into triumphs, I think that is so admirable because it's relevant to everyone but... Um, you know, very taboo and very hush-hush. And it's like, okay, if you want to talk about periods, yeah, sure, but you're going to be seen as kind of like a weirdo. And I don't think that should be the case. Yeah, it's interesting too, because we were having this conversation, you know, right before we started recording, that the work that has to be done to move forward the agenda of women's health has to be coming from all angles, from all stakeholders. So this advocacy around period poverty that's happening, especially in Gen Z, I think that's, so necessary like all these tiktoks that show you know like this is me free bleeding into my underwear right, like right. that on you know twitter might not go as well or that on facebook that kind of content might not fly right but on tiktok we see that the younger generation is like th those videos are racking up mm -hmm. thousands of views exactly. and it's the same with you know how to use a menstrual cup it's so much easier not even just easier but it feels much more tangible to watch a real person right. talking about their struggles inserting and taking out a menstrual cup right right rather than just reading a paper manual that comes in your box. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? That's a whole different level of thinking of the kind of like closeness. Intimacy. Yes, yeah. intimacy. And so I think that's super important that you're pushing things through social media because it has to start from the ground up for it to really make a difference and not just, you know, someone over there is doing it. And right, that's cool. right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think everyone has a platform that they could use. And it's important for each of us to recognize that, you know, maybe you have five friends and those five friends can spread the word to their other five friends. Um, and it may seem like a very small thing that you're doing on your Instagram or TikTok or any platform that you have, but it can make a difference in many people's lives. And it's important to recognize your voice through your activism. Let's talk about this uh, this big event you ladies have coming up. Uh, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, so Terrence is looking dead straight in my eyes as he says this. So this event uh, is hosted by Fermata. Um, we are hosting a three-day conference uh, in about two weeks' time from when we're recording. So this is October 22nd, 3rd, and 4th is the event. Uh, this is a femtech-themed conference um, with the really uh, multiple intentions, but one of them is to build awareness around the solutions for women's health that are available around the world. Um, I said earlier in this episode that, you know, we 
know that a lot of this innovation is taking place in different parts of the world that are not specifically in Asia or close to us here in Japan. A lot of it's happening in different parts of Europe, in North America. Um, and because of the language gap, it's really hard for people in Japan who are not English speakers to find out, you know, things beyond menstrual cups, right? Like devices that help you train your pelvic floor muscles or, you know, there's a device that can help you figure out... Um, uh, whether you're going to have a contraction soon or you could track your different contraction movements while you're pregnant. Um, and one day that can really help you figure out, okay, do I need to rush to the hospital or can I plan my way there? Um, so these are the kinds of things that may not be available for purchase and use in Japan tomorrow. But knowing that they exist can really help alleviate some of the stress for some folks who are thinking about pregnancy or menopause in the future. Um, and also for us to advocate for what we want. So let's say that there's a product that people come to the conference and see that's not available in Japan yet. If enough people say, hey, we want this, you know, let's say, for example, this non-hormone using contraceptive, that's not a, you know, copper IUD um, that's available in Israel, for example, like, why isn't that available in Japan? Why don't we get that here? Many reasons why it's not available in Japan yet, and we can elaborate on that later. But that awareness building is a key component, similar to what you're doing, Ingrid, right? Like, talking about these things and saying, hey, there are people out in the world that are using these things to alleviate our stresses. That's super important. So this conference uh, is going to take place over three days. First day is a business day. We're really focusing on Femtech as an industry, inviting stakeholders like retailers who are going to be selling these menstrual cups at the stores or investors who are pouring money, or we hope that they will pour money, into <laughs> startups that are really promising in the women's health space, um, as well as some of the corporate partners that we've been working with and making sure that we're having the most important conversations about femtech. So day one, we're talking about data privacy. You know, is your orgasm data private? And should you allow a company to collect big data around your vaginal contractions? Wow. Like, who thought we would be having this conversation? Right? But how cool is it that, that we are at this point where we can combine women's health, sexual health, big data, AI, like all of that comes into one conversation. Um, day two and three are more consumer and user uh, oriented days where we're doing a workshop called so in English it would be like pin the tail on the vulva uh, so we're doing you know for people who have never really thought about their anatomy past what they learned in middle school we'll give an opportunity for you to figure out like where is the clitoris where is the labia majora like all in Japanese very interactive um, so yeah, this is coming up in a few weeks. Unfortunately, all of our tickets are sold out. So it's no. really difficult to try to invite everyone here. Right. We'll have a few sessions that'll be virtual and in English. So um, I could share links for those with Terrence after uh, this we record today. And hopefully you guys can join us there virtually. All right. That sounds fascinating. Um, so I've actually been to the Fermata store in person, and it is such an interesting, cool space. Thank you for coming. Yeah, of course. And I feel like it's a very welcoming atmosphere, you know, very modern, very chic. Um, perhaps many people would kind of wander into the store like, OK, what is the store about? Um, but do you think that it is like welcome to menstruators and non-menstruators? Like, what do you think? Uh, you're aiming to achieve especially through this conference like who are the people who've purchased these tickets like what kind of demographics are you seeing yeah that's great multi-layered question um this so i'll first i'll mention the store um fermata of course we have our online store and we have partnerships with retailers and you know the department stores and pharmacies that we work with but we also have our own store front uh in nogisaka um this is 
right, you know, if you're at Midtown in Nopongi, if you know where that is, if you keep walking straight towards Aoyama, you'll hit it on your left. Um, it's a collaborative store with a, a creative company, and the store itself is called New Stand Tokyo. And, you know, Ingrid, you've been there, so you know that right. it's a very chic, open, clean space. It's not like the fifth floor back corner of Don Quixote where right, you need right. to go get your, like, sex toys and, you know, <laughs> like, it's not that hidden really Very like open yes it's what we've seen in the past with a lot of these sexual wellness or reproductive health products is that they're tucked away in the corner somewhere exactly. sometimes for privacy reasons which is you know very valid but that also creates an aura of like okay we really shouldn't be talking about this or mm -hmm. put it in a brown paper bag before you leave the store right. and like don't talk to anyone about it right, right. for us it's like oh my gosh you want to talk about vibrators and you want to talk about new options for like lubricants let's go like ask me all the questions you want right so we really want to create that open space but we have also seen in the store that some people just don't really want to talk to you and they just want to explore on their own mm -hmm. and that's okay too and mm -hmm. we need to be able to respect that kind of different ways of exploring new options and you know figuring out what's right for you and so at the conference um the demographic is very broad so we have uh, especially on the business day folks who are in the printing industry or people who are you know one of the big shosha so the the distributor companies that are in japan they're looking for the business opportunity in right. femtech right so they're coming at a very different angle than perhaps you would ingrid coming in as someone who's doing this activism and work on the ground mm -hmm. we have people like you as well who are right. very interested in the social movement aspect mm -hmm. of femtech uh, we have just you know fans of fermata thankfully that we've been able to grow in the past two years who are dying for an opportunity to meet in person because <laughs> yeah. we've done we've done bi-monthly virtual events whether it's through instagram live or through zoom every month we're meeting online to discuss different issues whether it be menstruation menopause pregnancy you know mental health hair loss every you know all across the board but it's different when you can meet in person of course that in-person experience that we're all probably most of us are craving right now. Um, that's what we're. I'm really excited about is that we get to actually see who's going to be there um, and hear firsthand what people think about the products that we're bringing in. I'm I'm curious to know, like you know, of your past events. Um, like I, I assume you had like some in public settings before COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How um, how open are you know Japanese women uh, with talking about you know these type of issues and topics? Just yeah, I would, I would flip the question and be like, well, can we say, make any generalizations about any population? <laughs> if you say, like, yeah, are American true. women open to, you know, talking about sex, I, depending on where they're from, what their religious background is, what their past traumas are, you know, what they've been educated with, it's going to be very different. I see the same happening in Japan as well. Some people come in having had these conversations with their, you know, girlfriends before. They've been, you know, to community spaces like this where they're very comfortable talking about, you know, how many menstrual pads they use during their period. Others come more on the listening side of I'm really interested in participating, but I don't necessarily want to say anything. I just want to like be here. But by the end of the event, they're all like, okay, so I have something to share. And then we end up staying an extra hour because like, you know, everyone has so many things that they want to share as well. So I think this speaks more to the spaces we can create that are safe to share. Um, very personal stories. It's also, you know, the core of what a lot of feminist movements are is like who has previously been 
removed or uh, excluded from these spaces? And how can we make sure that we in include these people and not just say that, okay, we had some representation, but to really say, okay, we made the space comfortable enough that people want to join. Um, so when we did have in-person events, uh, our first very large scale in-person event was in 2019 in Shibuya. We put no effort into advertising it just because we thought it would be small scale. But that also sold out within the first few days. And we had over 100 people show up. And, you know, this is a very grassroots kind of event. But people were very excited to learn and talk, but also just to hear from other people about their experiences. And the strength and empowerment that comes out of that is to look at the person next to you and be like, Either I have never heard anyone who's gone through that before, and that's really cool to know, and it's good for me to know because maybe I'll face that one day. And the other is I thought I was the only yes. one yes. that didn't know how to like use a tampon. And look at this girl next to me. She's you know she's in her forties, and she said she's never used one before either. Mm. So it's the it's the empathy, but it's also the like sisterhood and bond that you can get. Um, that we've been able to create through these events. And I'm very grateful that we have a very loyal following of folks who are willing to come and, and show up and really be present at these events. Cool. Thanks for uh, yeah the insight on that. Not to generalize too much, but just, you know, like people in Japan, I just think, I think the culture that we have in America, uh, we just, um, we're just very vocal about a lot of different issues. So right, right. I, I think in Japan, generally speaking, people aren't as as aren't as vocal so yeah i think a really great example of that, that's that. Where my question came oh from. yeah no i hear you um i think a great example of that that we sh is very relevant to this discussion today is the me too movement right that originated in the u.s by a woman named you know tarana burke who is the one of the like she's an inspiration i'm actually listening to her audiobook right now the uh, unbound recommended 100 um she founded this movement to serve the black and brown girls in her community that were st struggling or that had dealt with some sort of sexual violence right and then it blew up to this very universal or global movement or something that was trying to be a global movement right. um, but very centered around experiences of women in hollywood um, what we see in the states that worked was like people want to be vocal on twitter and like share their experience not everyone but that seemed to be very empowering for a lot of people right what we saw in japan was the flower demos or the the hashtag wasn't me too it was like with you, with you. so and oh my gosh, what does that say about this this culture difference, right? Mm -hmm. Me too doesn't go, doesn't really pick up, but with you, flower demo, like the, it's a whole different vibe. It's a different tone. It's a different way of being inclusive. And to center me too, the I, like the watashi, that just doesn't fit as naturally into the culture here. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people don't want to speak up or people who don't experience harassment or violence. It's just they would feel more comfortable sharing it in a different way. And I think the activists in Japan who have done this work in this space that are much more inclusive and very aware of the local needs we've seen that adaption because of the cultural difference and i think that's exactly what you're speaking to is yes. like we don't hear japanese women's voices necessarily talking yes. about oh you know like no means no or you know let's talk about period poverty that doesn't mean that we're not actually discussing it you that's just it might not that's be audio point. yeah which is yeah. hilarious because we're on an audio podcast so <laughs> you know of course there's that yeah. tendency to want to hear it but yeah. sometimes you know the most silent voices are the ones that need to be heard and places like twitter are a great place to hear that because it's moji it's it's text you know 
Um, it's really funny that you mentioned the flower demo. Um, I actually got chills when you said that because the first ever flower demo, I think it was in 2019, mm-hmm. um, April 11th, which was my birthday. So I went to the flower demo. It was That's so a great special, way to spend your birthday. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, it was very memorable, like gathering in front of Tokyo Station. I think it was like starting at maybe 7 p.m. I left the space at 10, maybe 10, 11 p.m. Um, and the crowds just kept getting larger and larger and larger. And it was this group of people. Um, some of them knew what was going on because they, you know, had flowers in their hands right, and they were right. just like listening to everyone who was speaking up. But then there were a bunch of people who were just returning home from the office and they would stop by and listen and like, you know, figure out what's going on. And I feel like that kind of physical intimacy is hard to find um, in this, you know, era of COVID where you are holding, um, you know, events online. And maybe that is accessible for people who aren't physically in Tokyo, but it's hard to kind of like catch people's attention um, when they would otherwise be uninterested in the topic. Right. Yeah. So I think it's super cool that you're doing an in-person event um, coming up this month. So I'm very excited to see that. Thank you so much. I think it's really interesting, too, to think that maybe this virtual world, this virtual way of doing events has actually become more inclusive in some ways right. than what we could do in person before. So, you know, wheelchair users, for example, if they can't access the demo because it's impossible to get there, right. um, they could join online or mm-hmm. virtually, whereas that option didn't exist before. But now we have to think, okay, how do we make this as hybrid, virtual, in-person as possible? And I right. think that really pushes us to think, you know, back to, okay, who are we allowing into the space and who are we inviting into the space? Right, right. Um, yeah, so... I mean, this is the coolest thing about femtech, though, is that we start off talking about technology and like actual products. And now we're talking about this movement and activism and it's all related. Right. But femtech is an industry where it's like for profit is the motive. And I think it's valid for us to question, like, is that the right way to go about Mm. solving women's health issues? And that's a question that I have. I don't have definitive answer for. Right now, I'm choosing to believe that, yes, we can make a difference this way. Right. Just because of the career that I have and the position that I'm in. But Mm -hmm. it's very, very important to keep thinking about, okay, just because we have more products on the shelves, is that really pushing forward the needle when it comes to access to reproductive health products or rights? You know, that's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad, Terrence, that you partnered us up today because we're coming at it from different sides of you know Ingrid your work with Joyceph right. um, which you haven't talked about yet but yeah your work with Joyceph is very nonprofit oriented right. um, and what I'm doing is very startup space which comes with its own rules and mm-hmm. restrictions and possibilities so I'm very interested to see from here on out how our work progresses and changes right. and adapts depending on the times right 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 now it feels like the startup is the way to go but maybe at some point we realize, okay, we maybe we need to focus more on the advocacy or mm-hmm, the more mm-hmm, grassroots and work. nonprofit, like a grassroots work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's all about inclusivity. Like you mentioned, just because you have more products on the shelves, it doesn't mean that it is accessible for everyone. You know, exactly uh, that people people who come from maybe low income backgrounds or people who who don't even know that these products exist Uh Um, and how are you going to reach that demographic that are maybe a uninterested or be interested but they don't know how to find that information yeah so that's this is an issue that we've been trying to tackle since day one Um, our 
goal is to have a store in all around Japan, not just in Tokyo. So we're、mm-hmm. opening actually our second storefront、no uh, in Osaka. Which I'm so like、exciting. so happy we have a connection with Osaka now, but、right. to have this,、um, you know, representation in not just Tokyo,、mm-hmm. but the second largest city in Japan、mm-hmm. is really important. And we also have pop ups that we collaborate with different department right, stores. Right, right.、Um, we have one in Nagoya coming up,、uh, we have another one in Sapporo that's coming up. Amazing. So, you know, that's like. Hopefully, we can get one in Okinawa as well, so、mm-hmm. we can really go from north to south, east right, to west,、right. all the way. But having that physical presence, even if it's temporary, I、mm-hmm. think that's a good starting point. Yeah. I mean, having the virtual store and the virtual events is another way that people can re- remotely participate. Right, so right. we're hoping that we can keep this up so that the movement is not just local to Tokyo、mm-hmm. and is relevant to people all across Japan. Right. Because,、um, you know, I think we probably feel this as people who've lived in many cities and many places around the world. Like, There's more similarities sometimes in city dwellers.、Mm-hmm. So, metropolitan environments breed kind of the same similar cultures、right. and access and information you know, sharing.、Mm-hmm. And then, once you're in an urban or suburban area, that changes very radically.、Right. And you could be in the、um, suburbs of South Africa or the suburbs of you know, somewhere in Japan and still. F- Feel the same issue of it takes me an hour to get to a gynecologist,、mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, I can't go to a, a clinic to get my STI testing done because it's, it's just inaccessible to、right. me. So, those conversations are, I think, really interesting when we talk to players around the world in the femtech space. It's not just this country versus this country or this region versus this region,、right. but it's like, how does your circumstance and environment shape your access to these tools? Is there anything else you want to share with us about the event? I mean, I know it's a lot going on in three days. So,、um, yeah, just yeah. go ahead. So, the three day conference is mostly in person. So, taking place in Nopongi Hirazu, there's a few maybe like media tickets left if you want to go check out the website.、Um, but there's also going to be two virtual sessions that'll be fully in English.、Um, so, probably most relevant for the audience for this podcast.、Um, we will be talking about two completely different topics over the two days. The first day on the 22nd at 8 p.m., we'll have a session, a panel.、Uh, it's a pan Asian panel on Women's healthcare in Japan, which、um, we're really excited to be hosting with our、uh, colleagues at Fermata Singapore. We'll be discussing the different access or the options to healthcare,、uh, as well as the issues that women in these regions face. So, when I say these regions, of course, Asia is so big and diverse. <laughs> and diverse.、Um, it's really sometimes frustrating when we hear folks from Europe say, like, So, what's women's health like in Asia? It's like, Okay, do you want to get specific?、Right. Do we want to look at a certain age group? So, that's exactly what we're going to be doing in this、mm-hmm. conversation. What is happening in Singapore when it comes to women's health? What is happening in Japan? What's happening in Thailand? What are some similarities? But what are some overarching kind of goals that we should be aiming for to improve women's health、uh, and conditions in these areas?、So、that's day one. Right. Day two, Uh, we're going to be、uh, have a session about contraception, but also conception.、Mm-hmm. So, con- contraception, of course, things like condoms, IUDs, the pill, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many options. 
that exist, but not necessarily available in the regions that we're in. Right. Um, or accessible. Maybe they cost too much. The, none of the clinicians know how to use them, et cetera. So we're talking about these options available just worldwide and discussing what would be nice for us to have and what would I want to use one mm-hmm. day. Oh, wow. Um, and then, of course, conception would be more about the fertility side of things. How are infertility issues being approached in different reason, regions in Asia? And, you know, for example, Singapore, egg freezing is social egg freezing is actually illegal. It's banned in Singapore. Wow. So a lot of Singaporean women fly to different parts of Southeast Asia to freeze their eggs. Right. But now because of the pandemic, you can't just easily fly to Bangkok where your eggs are and start your IVF treatment. So this is an issue that I didn't know about until I started working with our Singapore team Mm -hmm. um, for Fermata. So these are the kinds of issues that we'll be discussing. And, you know, not necessarily saying like this is the solution, but to discuss why these issues exist and perhaps what are some ways forward that we see as appropriate as other, as the users and as the women who are going to be facing these issues firsthand. Right. Wow. I didn't know that about egg freezing in Singapore either. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. It's really interesting. You learn a lot about the not just healthcare policies, but just social rules and mm-hmm. traditions of each region when we think about women's health and healthcare issues. Um, you know, it's easy to try to develop a new product in your own lab, in your own space. Mm -hmm. Maybe not easy, but it's doable. To try to make that accessible and available in different regions, you have to know locally what are the needs and what are the obstacles. And social egg freezing is just one of those things where you wouldn't think it's an issue, but actually, hey, like there's literally a legal, illegal like ban on it. So that's really interesting to know. That is fascinating. Um, I was actually, you know, doing not not doing a little bit of research but i was reading up on um abortions in japan and i mm-hmm. learned that the laws uh for abortion um were created maybe like over a hundred years ago and they're still the same to this day and uh i think this ties into what you were saying about how you would maybe uh start learning about one thing and realize that it's so um interconnected with so many different aspects of society like whether it's the historical aspect of it whether it's the social aspect of it um, you know, legal aspects of it. And I think it's so cool that you're actually opening up the space uh, during the Femtech Fest um, to reveal uh, some things that are very relevant um, and in- intimately connected to our lives, but we might not have any knowledge about. Yeah, because I think it's really fun to talk about Kegel trainers and menstrual cups and why to use these instead of tampons and mm-hmm. pads or the benefits of, you know, different kinds of lubricants and things like that. That's, that's It's exciting right. and it makes us, it's the triumphs that we're trying to aim for. Right. But there's those are sometimes nice to have solutions, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of need to have solutions when, you know, for example, abortion is a great example, but it's also, you know, care for cervical cancers or mm-hmm. prevention for HIV. You know, these things are just as important to our health, but it's difficult to talk about without looking at the big picture. Right. Um, so to balance those conversations of specificity, but also let's take a step back and be like, okay, why do these issues exist in the first place? Mm-hmm. That is, I think, what keeps me in the work um, and what makes me really excited about Femtech. All right. uh, Before we get out of here, I have one last question for you. Yes. I don't think uh, this might be a little bit of a curveball, but um, so as as a man, as a Mm -hmm. non-menstruator, I want to know what do you think is the important, like what is the importance of men being... um, a part of femtech um and not not necessarily from a ceo position or high uh, upper management position right. but just in the movement itself and 
Yeah. Um, you said it's a curveball, but I actually get this question every time I do interviews, oh, okay. um, yeah. especially if there's men in the room. And that's such a valid question. Like, how is this relevant to me? And I think we can all ask that question no matter what our gender is or what our situation is or what our bodies look like. When we hear about, you know, different innovations in healthcare and wellness, how is that relevant to me? Um, and so when it comes to folks who don't necessarily have the genitalia that we're talking about or have the issues that we're talking about, um, one, one way to think about it is, okay, this means that there's probably people in our lives um, that are facing these issues that maybe we never talked to them about it before. Maybe we have a wife, a sister, a colleague, a grandmother, you know, who has dealt with PCOS, or that's polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, people who have really intense um, PMS, or, you know, have uh, issues with urine leakage, right? All of these things are going to impact us in some way or another, even if it's not to us personally. So it's that empathy and kind of caring, like, okay, maybe I can help this person out in this way, or maybe I can ask them to take a break because it looks like they're doing a whole lot. And, you know, you know that's that can go beyond just femtech. It's just kind of an empathy thing. That's the first thing. And then for people who see the solutions that we're giving out as Fermata and we're exhibiting at our conference, for example, and say, wait, none of these or solve my issues. These have nothing to do with the issues that I'm facing. I'm sure many women will have that exact mm. I thought as well and be like, okay, I have this mental health issue that I really want help with, but none of these solutions are approaching that. That's a great insight to have for yourself, but we also want to hear that as a company. Mm. Um, you know, maybe there's a man who comes to our event and sees a solution for urinary incontinence that's available for women, but he himself also deals deals with urinary incontinence because it's you know yes. doesn't see gender. That is a great way to start a conversation about actually this is a universal issue that we should be approaching and having that conversation. So I think trying to do both things, having empathy for others through femtech, but also to be able to flip the gaze on ourselves and say, what is this saying about me and myself and my needs? that's going to be relevant to you no matter what your gender is and what your genitalia looks like. So I would say I would invite men, women, people of all gender identities to really think about it in this way. How is it relevant to me? How can this improve my life? Great, great way to wrap it up. Um, you have any other questions, Ingrid? I have many, but... <laughs> we'll have a coffee after this. It's right. Okay. <laughs> um, it's sad that we've run out of time. Yes. I'm actually devastated. <laughs> I don't want this to ever end. I just hope that people listening to, you know, if there's anything that really sticks out to them that they want to know more about, like Google is an amazing place, but also going to our website, um, helloformata.com. There's also an English version. Singapore, our team also does everything in English too. That's great. But also look for like, you know, clinicians and healthcare providers that can help you with these uh, things that maybe you're trying to struggle with by yourself granted there's going to be someone in your life that would want to talk to you about it or help you out so that's one way to i hope that's a takeaway from the the podcast as well great um last thing uh how can people learn about formata online or yeah how, how do you guys learn about us um so helloformata.com is our website uh we have uh social media channels twitter instagram um, most of our Japan-based stuff is in Japanese, but our Singapore team also does everything in English. Um, come to our virtual events. Come to our store in Nogizaka, um, new stand Tokyo. That's where we're at. If you're in Osaka, we're going to be opening our store there in the new Parko at Shinsaibashi in November. So um, stay on the lookout for information there. 
And yeah, we hope to find you online. Oh, my Instagram is at Kamargram, C-A-M-A-R-G-R-A-M-S. Um, I'm also actually outside of my work at Fermata. I'm doing, uh, I'm training to become a doula. So I'll be sharing information about that as well. So yeah, look forward to seeing you guys online. All right, that's it. That's a wrap. Catch you next episode. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.